Welcome to Behind the Headlines, the weekly SilicagaNews.com podcast where we go behind the stories we tell and report here at SilicagaNews.com. I'm your host, Michael Brannon. Today is the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks on our country, 9-11, 20 years ago. It was a way that transformed the way that America would be forever. Today, on this special episode of Behind the Headlines, we're interviewing Brigadier General Robert Holmes, United States Air Force retired. He will be talking with us about his time serving shortly after those terrorist attacks on our country in Afghanistan, the way that the world has changed since then, and the recent pullout of Afghanistan here in the last few weeks. Our special interview with Brigadier General Robert Holmes coming up here in just a few minutes on Behind the Headlines. People tell our tellers, lenders, and representatives they see us at events happening in your community all the time. There's a reason for that. With more than 450 volunteer hours every year, our team is dedicated to knowing you and what matters most. Heritage South Credit Union is your community credit union. Find out why more and more people are becoming members at myhscu.com. Heritage South Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA, an equal housing lender. you're missing from your own life just because you always have to run off to the bathroom? Those days are over. Be the star of your own life again with BTL Mcella. To learn more about Mcella treatments and how they can help you, visit ChildersburgClinic.com. Joining me today, as I mentioned earlier, Brigadier General Robert Holmes, United States Air Force, retired. Uh, General, you are uh, incredible. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really appreciate yeah, it's it. A, it's a pleasure to uh, to be with you and to talk to the great community of uh, Silicaga, the greater Silicaga area. Really appreciate it. Of course, uh, you and I have, have known each other uh, through the Chamber of Commerce. You work with the Chamber of Commerce now uh, in your in your retired uh, life. Um, which is fantastic and uh, do a lot of consulting work and really appreciate the job that you do uh, to help improve the community. So we really focus around today being that today is uh, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. It's a day that, of course, will not be forgotten uh, by so many that lived through it, that had family members affected by it, um, and even for people who are not yet alive, for them to know the importance of what this day is all about. You were very close to the situation, having been deployed immediately after the attacks in the, on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon uh, in, in that day 20 years ago. First off in our conversation, what does this day mean to you? Well, honestly... Um it it came as uh, a means, you know, for whatever reason, uh, for me to be part of a, a military unit, the Special Tactics Unit, and we can talk about that later. Uh, as we, um, 
went out the door to go to a war that, uh, honestly, for two decades we had been training for. Uh, so we, we knew that um, this what was going to be called on and expected of us and, and the United States Special Operations Forces was a conflict, was an operation that was designed in such a way that uh, we, we were going to be on that battlefield and, and make a difference. So uh, that, that uh, sounds rather um, warlike, and, and uh, you know, I, I can apologize for that, but when you, when you train as um, a military person, and particularly in special operations, uh, and you get called to do your job, then that, um, that, that marks uh, a highlight within your life either a good highlight or a bad highlight, but it marks it. And then to be with the people, and, and that's where I, I really want to go with this. Um, it's always about the people. And in this time, in that time, uh, in, in 2001, as we responded to the terror attacks uh, in New York City and Washington, D.C., and, and the failed attack where the airliner crashed in a Pennsylvania farm, as we responded to that, uh, it was... Um, it was a time of uh, immense, um, well, it was very emotional in some ways, but uh, immense pride in, in, in the special operators that went forth. And, and so it, every, every year, my, in, in my own melancholy way, uh, I go back there. Where were you on that day? What was that day like for you? And, and take us through that uh, timeline. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I was the, the uh, commander of the, Air Force Special Operations Command, 720th Special Tactics Group at Rolbert Field, Florida. I was in the gym doing my morning workout. That was part of our daily routine as, as uh, operators. And I saw the um, uh, breaking news of an uh, aircraft that had crashed into the uh, World Trade Center. And my immediate thought was, well, it was some uh, errant uh, private pilot or a news helicopter that had uh, uh, by huge horrific accident crashed into the World Trade Center within just a you know probably less than uh, a, a minute and a half or two minutes then uh, we saw the the breaking news of a second aircraft and this was not uh, a small airplane it was a commercial airliner as it crashed into the second tower so I immediately knew instinctively that uh, we had been subject to a terror attack uh, I, I made two phone calls. I, I called Colleen, my wife, and said, turn on the news immediately. Um, we, are, we, we have just been attacked by terrorists in New York City. At that time, the Pentagon had not been attacked yet. And I said, uh, I can't say much because I don't know much right now other than it's been an attack. And just watch the news. This is going to be important. And then I called the unit, uh, 720th headquarters, and uh, said, uh, we're on alert. <laughs> And uh, everybody be in the conference room in, in, uh, in 30 minutes, and we're going to prepare in our minds and plan for what we're going to have to do. How long after that period of time did you get official word from your senior staff on what you were supposed to be doing? We began to get uh, some word uh, within uh, two hours from uh, Air Force Special Operations Command headquarters. Uh, that was to deploy some people into um, uh, the New York area uh, to do some things in terms of search and rescue. It was not a combat operation. Uh, but we were getting other words to begin to mobilize and look at who we had uh, close to uh, the Afghan border. So in, in some ways, we had, uh, we had our airmen, our special ops airmen, uh, 
uh, pointed in the direction they were going, some of them within single-digit hours. The, the hours that were after 9-11 and even the days, it, it's, it was an obvious shock yes. to, you know, adults, uh, kids alike, you know, those who could comprehend it at least or who could remember it, seeing what was happening. And it seemed like at that time, immediately after and also in the days and weeks after, America came together. It did. There was a cohesive nature of being a patriot, being an American. It seems like in, in some cases since that time that there have been fragmented elements uh, in some cases. Have you ever seen a time like that in our country? That we came together like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I haven't. I, you know, uh, after 70-some-odd years, I, I was a little, little too young to remember how the nation came together for World War II. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that, was, that was where the national will and, and, and the, the policies of, uh, of our nation came together and there was immense pride to be an American, you know, uh, to support the effort in World War II. Um, I've not, I, I can only imagine that that was after 9-11, the, you know, the, the immediate response of so many Americans. Um, as you said, it, it did fade. Uh, the, the, the fights were different. Uh, World War II was a was a was was a fight a war where the entire nation was mobilized in terms of, you know, it, it not just the military but everything. You know, uh, our industry uh, was pointed at whatever it was going to take. You know, if people went into extra shifts and and all things like that. So uh, it was a you know it it was a different uh, a, a different conflict a different fight. The nation after 9-11 came together, but, I, you know, there, there were certain things that I think began to, um, you know, life took back over. We, we, we live in a much different world in terms of, you know, how the media, uh, the 24-7 media, you know, begins to uh, give us the kinds of things that we're going to think about or not. And, and that necessarily did not occur in World War II. But I, I think I'm, I'm beating around the bush to answer your question, but uh, we did come together. And, and I think there was an immense uh, um, uh, feeling of pride and, and appreciation for particularly the first responders that, that raced into danger as the towers were falling to rescue fellow Americans. So uh, you know, that just, I think, would be a moment where everybody would stand and just just really take pride. We're talking with retired United States Air Force Brigadier General Robert Holmes. Uh, General Holmes, your time in the Middle East was something that was pretty quickly activated after, uh, after 9-11. Uh, Operation Enduring Freedom, the Global War on Terror. There's, there are a lot of players in this game. The Taliban, the Taliban, the uh, ISIS, mm-hmm. Al Qaeda. Can you break down those elements sure. and help better explain to our audience what those, who those players are, and what war was being fought? Yes, I, I, that that's an excellent question because I think um, for, for many, uh, the, the the entities of terror or the entities of hostility just sort of run together, and it all becomes the same the same enemy, the same threat, and, and it's not. Um, so I, I think first you go to uh, who, who prosecuted the, the attack, and it was al-Qaeda, a, a, an extreme terrorist uh, uh, element led by Osama bin Laden, 
and uh, he, Bin Laden and and his um, uh, AQ um, terror group had really, you know, the, the World Trade Center was the sixth attack uh, or, or, or attempted attack on U.S. assets um, in, in the course of uh, um, just over a de- decade. So that was al-Qaeda. And then you turn to the situation in Afghanistan and you look at the Taliban. Uh, they were not a terrorist group. They are not necessarily a terrorist group. They are a religious uh, governmental entity that is now taken back over control of uh, the, the nation of Afghanistan. Uh, very strict, very rigid Islamic uh, religious regime, but they, they were not necessarily terrorists. Now, they're fighters. <laughs> they, they fight. They, listen, the, 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 the warlords have been fighting in Afghanistan for centuries. Okay, and, and the Taliban were part of that. So, uh, so in a sense, because they had the regime in Afghanistan at the time, they became the host, a willing host, for a, a parasite, a terrorist parasite, al-Qaeda and bin Laden. So, uh, in a sense, they, were, um, they, they offered the platform, Afghanistan, for safe haven for al-Qaeda. Then, then you get into the later splinter terror groups, uh, ISIS. Uh, and now ISIS, uh, I think it's ISIS-K in, in, in um, uh, Afghanistan. Um, a, different, uh, a different band of terrorists. Now, do they all do bad things? Yes. Do they dislike and want to attack or be hostile toward the United States and Western uh, um, nations? Yes. But they're not the same. And so I think what we're now really beginning to see as we're faced with now trying to look back into Afghanistan to see what's going on, uh, we're going to see the, the government uh, in, in the hands of the Taliban. Then we're going to see uh, al-Qaeda still wanting to operate there, and we're going to see now the splinters of ISIS, which in, in many ways the ISIS uh, uh, terror groups were splinters off of al-Qaeda. <clears throat> so those two terror groups may end up being at odds with each other because they, or they may fight together. Who knows? But I think it's very important to understand and break down the, the difference in the terror groups that are operating there. And we've not even gotten into just, you know, sub-level terror groups that operate in and out of uh, uh, the border in Pakistan and Afghanistan, uh, largely associated with the, the drug trade. How, how big is that drug trade in the Middle East? Well, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not sure I could put a number on it, but I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, that is really, if you get down to it, the gross national product of Afghanistan. And it's something that we may have never figured into our strategy in trying to deal with the Afghans for, for now the, the last 20 years. That's fascinating. When you went uh, overseas with your, with your men and women, was there ever a thought in your mind that when you went, it would be a short-lived tour or that it would be 20 years later we would still be there? Um, I, think, I think in our minds, uh, our immediate mission was to uh, find and um, um, conduct operations against uh, Osama bin Laden and um, his senior al-Qaeda terrorist uh, chiefs. Uh, we knew that that would take a while, maybe several months, um, never intending in, in my mind that we would eventually, over the course of, of two decades, begin to take on um, a mission of nation building 
uh, trying to establish a democracy in, um, in Afghanistan. <clears throat> so um, my initial thought was we, I, I, I left being prepared to be gone for maybe a year, a year and a half. Uh, but never did I think that we would leave our forces there for for 20 years. Um, that's going to beg a bigger question that may you may want to go into about you know strategy for Afghanistan. My initial thoughts when I got off the ground uh, uh, after you know in in the evenings that we were conducting the invasion, uh, and I got off of uh, um, the military aircraft. Uh, uh, C-130 uh, Talon uh, blacked out uh, landing. And, uh, you know, when I stepped off the ground, my, my immediate thought was, what are we going to do with this place? Because, uh, you know, having been a student of the War College and studying, you know, when you use the military as an instrument of power, you certain things go along with that. So when you invade somebody, you now, you own the ground you're landing on. So what are you going to do with it? That, that's, that's the question. And instinctively, I said, I'm not sure we as a nation have thought through, now, what are we going to do with this? Up front, we knew we wanted to find and, and hunt bin Laden and bring justice to those that had been killed on 9-11. But I don't think we had thought much past that. When you say we haven't thought much past that, do you mean the men on the ground or the policymakers that no, were making no, the decisions no, back no, home? I, th I think I think your warriors on the ground knew exactly what they were doing. We're going to get in there. We're going to do what you've asked us to do. We're going to conduct combat operations. We're going to find bin Laden, and we're going to attack uh, al-Qaeda cells and the Taliban if we need to. The policymakers, I think, uh, had not thought through. And, and you know what? Easy for me to sit back as an armchair politician uh, 20 years later, uh, and I don't want to cast any stones, but I have to call it like I see it. Uh, I, I'm not sure we had a grand strategy, a and you could see that play out, uh, uh, you know, in later. In, and uh, uh, so as we went in as a special operations mission to uh, combat or, or counter terror, it then began to turn into a larger mission of uh, balancing the platform, uh, take uh, you know, make sure that the Taliban will not give safe haven to Al Qaeda. So that's going to lead you into what we call mission creep. Okay, mission creep is not a good strategy. Okay, when it comes to strategy, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about the strategy, or some may say lack thereof, that have hap that has happened recently with the with the pullout of our armed forces and troops in Afghanistan. Your thoughts and, and take on that? Sure. Um, that, 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 that question's got a lot of strings to it. So, sure, so, I, know. So, <laughs> I left so, it open-ended so, for you. So, so, so <laughs> let, let, me try to, let me try to work us through that. Um, first, for, for those that really studied what, was gonna, what it was going to take to um, pacify Afghanistan and to help it step into being a democracy, um, knew that that, that, that that was a strategy that tw 20 years might not be long enough, okay? So with the will of the nation, with the resource of the nation, not the military, but of the nation, go that long, okay? So many of us, even within a year and a half or two years after going in there, said, we're, we're going down, we're, we're going in deep, and we're not sure, because the policy would change, quite frankly, every two years. And that's on our, 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 our election cycles, 
I, I know presidents get elected on four years, but but every every two years is when the political parties begin to message and and try to strategize. And so it would go back and forth as to how we would deal with Afghanistan or not. So as as you saw that play out, m- many many military leaders said we should have gotten out after two years, because because it no, then it's really no longer a military mission. We can do nation building, the military. We can do a, a number of things, but when you really get us in there for the long haul, you've now taken a, a very, uh, very keen and finite warfighting force and turned it into a force of occupation. And that's in the in the 1990s, you didn't buy that kind of military. You bought you you, you bought the uh, uh, very light, lean, and lethal. Uh, mm-hmm. Getting the the shock and awe of you know combined military operations. That that was the military that that you were putting on the ground, not designed for nation building. That that begins to that's like taking <coughs> a jeweler screwdriver and then mm-hmm. trying to make it do the job of a hammer. You you just you don't. It's not not a good way to go. So. As it played out, uh, now I, I think where, where you're going with that is the more recent uh, uh, things or, or, or policy decisions that have been made by the last two administrations. Um, so for many of us, it was no surprise that we would be getting out of Afghanistan. Uh, it was not a surprise to uh, the, the present policymakers because it had already, uh, you know, the, or the past administration had already said we're getting out. Um, so then you've got to say, you know, is is the argument about get out or not? Uh, I think that decision had been made. I, I, so I think what we see now, and again, easy for me to. Uh, uh, to be an armchair uh, a quarterback or, or policymaker, uh, what we saw play out were policies on how we got out. And um, I, I think based on whatever uh, your uh, persuasion may be with regard to getting out of Afghanistan or not, when you look at how we got out, that was... Um, uh, that was not something that particularly uh, I as an American would be proud about. I'm not. Uh, quite frankly, um, it, it was a, um, for those who uh, had been to Afghanistan like myself and, and others, uh, um, disappointing to see the way it was handled. Disappointing to see um, the chaos, disappointing to see um, the decisions that were made that could not be explained about certain things. Uh, embarrassing as it played out on the national, uh, international stage. Uh, I, I, I still think that um, we've not quite realized uh, the damage that um, has been done with regard to uh, the view of our allies and when we say that we will do something or not, uh, not quite um, realize the damage that may have been done in terms of larger global threats, uh, other other national threats that may be now looking at uh, our resolve as a nation. So, uh, but again, we've got great Americans. Uh, it's just we didn't do a very good job planning on how to get out. 
Would you? Uh, and, and again, I, it, it, what's unfortunate is I know some of the people that are still in those planning seats, and you know what? I, I, I in no way want to throw stones at them, or but I'm going to go. Man, it didn't. <laughs> plan didn't work very well, did it? I, I think it can. I think it's obvious in this climate, in this nature that we have now with more, I think you alluded to it earlier, more 27 news, 24-7 news cycles, that it played out more in real time for the world to see. Yes. As in in comparison to how 9-11 played out. Right. Um, And I think that that should be put into perspective for people to say, you know, this is what's happening in real time. These are our men and women that are on the ground. This is who we were sent over to help right. in the country and help secure so that this doesn't happen again. And now that this has happened, the question now arises, now that we are out of Afghanistan and the Taliban has taken back control, right. where do you see this going when it comes to potential future attacks well, with either the Taliban, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, so on? Well, you know, I, I see no reason for the Taliban not to not to be a host for uh, some terror elements. I, I I think they may be giving pledges um, that in order to to be recognized uh, on the world stage that 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 uh, the, that they as the Taliban government will try uh, to present a better a better and more likable image. Okay, uh, can they do that? You know, I, I don't know. Do I suspect they can do that? I would have my doubts. I, I, so, I, I, and again, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to steer something that maybe that maybe there's a brighter path than Bob Holmes knows about. Okay, uh, but if I see the way history has played out, not just for the last twenty years, but for the last you know uh, number of centuries uh, in that area of the world, terrorism is not going to go away. Okay. Uh, safe havens for terrorists is not going to go away. If it's not the Taliban, then it's going to be elements on the other side of the border in Pakistan, in that region of mountain region where you can't even tell where the border is. Uh, so terrorists will find safe haven there. I mean, that's, that's why bin Laden went there. So I would expect that we will still now see a reemergence uh, or a reemergence of, uh, of terror planning activities in that, in that area. Um, in that area, or it, you're saying in that area, but carried out over here? Oh, oh, it carried out worldwide. Okay, yes. So, so that will that will remain to be a safe haven. There are other safe havens in 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 Africa, uh, safe havens in uh, you know. Uh, so, so we're talking about uh, a brand of terror in uh, uh, w- with uh, um, Al Qaeda and and ISIS. Uh, someday you may want to have me talk about a, a, another terror agent, that of Iran, who's got a, a, a huge global terror network that we don't seem to talk about as much. So keeping really quick with the with the conversation of Afghanistan and ISIS and, and the Taliban and al-Qaeda, to clarify and make sure that I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that within the past 20 years it was safer and now it does not seem as safe. 
moving forward? I, I would say the danger, the threat was there. I'm not going to necessarily say we were safer. I'm going to say that we threw them off their game because we went into their safe haven. We upset that. It made it more difficult for them to plan. Plus, after 9-11, we took measures to be uh, more vigilant with regard to terror in, in the homeland. Uh, were we, I'm not going to say we were safer. I'm going to say we did not endure as many attacks. Okay. Now, easy again for me to say that if now you look at the instruments of terror that operated within the borders of Afghanistan while we were conducting combat operations there and the acts of terror that were prosecuted against uh, uh, U.S. soldiers, U.S. military, and uh, Iraqi citizens uh, within that war. So, so your, your terrorists went now to a new battlefield. So, so what you had was you had combat operations in two countries, Afghanistan and Iraq, <clears throat> that were also now the sandboxes for embedded terror. So, so the world, <laughs> safe is only if, if you don't, you know, if you're not hurt, okay. Plenty of people were getting hurt at the hands of terrorists. And, and so the, the planning had moved on into elements of uh, Iraq or Syria, uh, other par portion, uh, portions of uh, uh, the Afghan border and in Pakistan. So um, that, that's a tough question for me to really give you. Were we safer? No, we just refocused the effort of the terrorist. Bringing it back to bin Laden, whom you just mentioned a moment ago, and his escape um, when armed forces approached the Middle East. How did you feel back when President Obama announced that Osama bin Laden had been killed, and knowing that you were on the ground at the forefront of all of this? Well, I was glad we got him. You know, I, and I knew it was going to take a while to get him. E even uh, within that first six months, there were, there, were, there were trace pinpoints of intelligence where we thought we knew where he might be, okay? Uh, Tora Bora was one of those, but he slipped away. Because you begin to look at the, 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 the national, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the natural terrain uh, just makes it, it's a, it's a fortress for, for bad guys. So he slipped away and went back across the Pakistan border. Uh, so he got away from us. Uh, so I, I was glad we were on the fight then, but I'm also very glad that uh, uh, that that President Obama uh, gave the order uh, to to get him. Uh, you know, years later. When it when it comes to the, you mentioned uh, I'm going to come back to to one one item here in just okay. a minute, but you mentioned the intelligence there about going after Bin Laden. What about the intelligence back here at home 20 years ago, yeah. knowing whether or not that this could possibly happen, an attack in our home in our homeland? Sure. Um, you know, many, many, many folks have asked the question, well, why didn't we know that al-Qaeda was going to attack us on 9-11? Well, again, e easy, easy to pick and, and try to tear apart somebody who was, you know, living that life uh, as an intel analyst. There were thousands of analysts with multi-thousands of reports uh, and, and strings of information. So was the information somewhere available in the intelligence community to, to, have, to have analyzed that a potential attack? There, there might have been. There probably was. But with 
with the information age that we live in, it's information overload. And I'm not trying to defend the intelligence community. I'm just saying probably there was an element of information here, here, and here. Had the right people at the right time put those four to a half a dozen elements of information together, we might have been able to have stepped in and thwarted uh, the, the attack on 9-11. Might. I, I don't know. I'm not sure anybody really has the answer to that. I, I've seen pundits talk about it for years. I, I don't know. Uh, and it doesn't matter now. What matters is it happened. Then we responded with with trying to pull the elements of, of national intelligence and the databases together so that we could more quickly share information. And that needed to be done. That that was not occurring before 9-11. So, so that was a result of that. Um, but... Who would have ever thought, I mean, even if you had elements of information that there were um, um, uh, pilots uh, of, of um, uh, Middle Eastern backgrounds training to get their commercial pilot's license in the United States of America, uh, how, how much of a mental leap would anyone have really been capable to think of that these 16 terrorists would commandeer four commercial airliners and fly them against domestic U.S. targets. I mean, I'm not even sure Tom Clancy would have gotten that one. That's really an unfathomable <laughs> type of uh, type of concept to come up right. with. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm saying it's a good question if if you're just sitting around wanting to ask gee whiz questions. But at the end of the day, was the intelligence here? There was probably enough information. Had the right people at the right time at the right desk shared it with two dozen other people. You, you know, so. Back to the operations on the ground in Afghanistan. I know I'm jumping all over the place. That's, that's fine. Your, your, your questions are, are bringing up new ones that I didn't have prepared. <laughs> and I think one to kind of tie it all together would be, what was the reaction from the native Afghans that you and your men and women were interacting with day to day? Yeah. And where do you see that? Where, what what was it like yeah. in your interaction, and where do you see that going now that you're you're no longer there? Um, honestly, uh, that's a heartbreaker. Because even though we we look at the uh, Taliban government now being going back in as as the uh, uh, the governing uh, uh, body for Afghanistan, uh, the Afghan. The Afghan person on, I'll say, on the street, really, on, you know, on the turf, uh, was very warm and so thankful that uh, that they had been liberated. Uh, they could they could sing. You know, in some communities, singing and joy had been banned. Okay, they could sing. Uh, women were being drawn out of a very oppressed state, a state of affairs. Uh, children could now run and play uh, freely. So in seeing that, and, and the Afghan person uh, was very warm and, and, and very accommodating and glad we were there. Now, um, another side of that is... Um, I, and I know on one occasion, one morning, uh, very, very early in, in uh, uh, the invasion, we went out to um, 
Osama bin Laden's uh, terror headquarters at Kandahar, right off the edge of the airfield. And um, that's where the training camp was. So if you remember videos of the, of the terrorist training and, and doing low crawls and hopping over obstacles and, and, and doing the swings on bars and things, uh, terror training, <coughs> that was uh, at uh, Tarnak Farm. That was the training facility. And so we went out there one morning to do a sensitive site exploitation to find out what uh, AQ may have left behind that we could exploit in terms of intelligence. And um, two Afghans uh, started coming toward us, one on a horse, one on a bicycle, uh, both carrying AK-47s. So we very calmly said, don't anybody do anything, just be calm and uh, let's see what's going to happen here. Of course, we had, we had plenty of armament should something go down, but we didn't know. Uh, as it turned out, that was that's the farmer goes to work with an AK-47. What can I tell you? <laughs> that's incredible. Now, that's... But, 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 but these guys might have been fighting us weeks sure. earlier. Sure. Okay, we don't sure. know. Okay, yeah. but, but very warm, very accommodating, and really very glad we were there. Also very curious about, okay, the Russians tried this. They didn't do very well. So now, what are you going to do any different? Because, you know, we want, we want to know. We're tired of... Retired to being the, the the doormat for all of you, you know, international powers that want to come in and try to uh, straighten Afghanistan out. What memory from your time there? And I know that's probably a pinnacle of your of your career, spanning forty years, uh, more than forty years in in the Air Force. What what do you take away from that time? For me. Um, I, I, I take away that that lifelong affiliation with um, the the troops. Um, at that particular time, as as I said, we we went out the door to do the absolute job that we had been trained to do for years. And I, as I saw a great American um, warriors respond with their courage, uh, their commitment, their willingness. Um, you know, c- courage and bravery. I'm, I'm going to put bravery in there because sometimes I, I think the two are different. So uh, th- they were so brave to do some of the things that, that we were tasked to do and to see what they did. Uh, and then the selfless sacrifice of so many. Um, you know, the particular outfit that um, uh, special tactics that, that I commanded uh, over time in, within the wars of Afghanistan and Iraq uh, had one Medal of Honor recipient, 10 Air Force Cross recipients, uh, multiple, I mean, um, as I recall, almost two dozen silver stars. So for a very small force in the Air Force, uh, th- this would, is, is incredible. So this begins to... Uh, sort of build uh, that persona of of the warriors that honestly I feel like God blessed me uh, to to just know them and be with them and be in their rank and file. Do you still okay. keep in touch? I do today. I do. I do. Yeah. So so I, I think that's and that's one reason uh, as we come to nine eleven every year, uh, I can't help but tell you there's a certain part of me that in a, in a in a good melancholy way goes back to there to go you know. I just want to be back there again to be around the great people, the great warriors. 
Uh, so I, that's just something that I, I don't that will it'll go away one day when I'm <laughs> when I'm no longer here. But every year about this time, um, that's where that's where my heart and my head go. Brigadier General Robert Holmes, United States Air Force retired. Thank you so much for your oh, time. Well, thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you so much. That is going to do it for this episode of Behind the Headlines. We appreciate you watching and listening wherever you have been today. If you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating, share it with your friends as well. Until next time, we'll see you soon.